0: Beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Greetings to you wherever this finds you today. I'm actually in beautiful South Carolina, right near Savannah leading worship for an event for the Leadership Network. And Nathan's here with me, and we're enjoying one of those times that we get to lead somewhere, but it also sort of doubles as a little vacay, so that's fun. If you're a patron, I'm gonna reach out to you tomorrow so that you can see some of the lay of the land here. It's absolutely gorgeous. Although I will say, there's a small body of water really near our cottage, and there's a sign right in front of it that I just noticed right in front of this little body of water that says, do not feed the alligators and no swimming. So there's that. (laughs) If you're not a patron, we would like to invite you in. And now is a great time because there are actually only a few more episodes for this regular season. And this summer is going to be exclusively for patrons. A patron simply means that you support or you're a backer for this podcast. And it means the world to us, basically. It's only $6 a month, and when you download the free app, you can listen to the podcast straight from that app. It's really easy, and you'll be getting it before the rest of the world, so that's a huge plus, as well as participate in our little community, which is actually a really sweet thing. You'll be the first to know about concert dates and any new happenings, as well as you'll always receive uh, further notes and deeper reflection around each podcast that I call the journal prompts, and much more as the podcast will go out exclusively just to patrons this summer, as I mentioned before. So if you'd like to join us, you can go to patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles, and you can download the free app and get started. Well, my prayer for us again today is simple truth, truth that is beneficial in any economy, any season of life, on any mountaintop or any valley, truth that clears your head and your heart and your eyes today, the truth of Jesus and Jesus alone that meets you on that well-worn path that is your mundane. Let me say this. I would never want to just add to the noise of your life. I remember this old Switchfoot song that Nathan and I used to play. It says, if we're adding to the noise, turn off this song. I'll be honest that that's definitely how I feel sometimes. And I've already actually edited this podcast from the original that we were going to just press send on. There's so much noise and there's so much jibber-jabber out there. And I just don't take this lightly. Getting to speak around the truths of God, I want you to know that I feel the weight of that. So much that I just texted my manager this morning and asked if he had sent the Patreon crowd yet the podcast. And thankfully he hadn't. Something just lifted off of me like a ton of bricks, knowing that He hadn't sent it yet, so I knew I needed to kind of wrestle with it some more. It was something about being able to push pause, to just yield for a minute, to make sure that this isn't just becoming routine and that I'm not just arrogantly or flippantly just throwing this stuff out there. So as honestly and humbly as I know, I ask again, Spirit of God, come and part the clouds and clear the way and do what only you can do in our hearts today as we just lean into simple truth. I have to be honest that sometimes I feel really unqualified to speak into your lives and teach the Word of God in any way, shape, or form. I just want you to know that I'm still learning too and that you should always take everything I say and thread it through the Word of God. That will always be my heart for you as you listen. Well, I'm entering a season where I'm going to be coming off the road for a little bit, and I'm both excited about it and a little bit nervous. I tend to set expectations for myself when I'm at home to still be working and cultivating creativity, but often I just don't know where to start. The other day, Nathan and I sat down before our day began and I told him that I feel like I have about seven eye clouds hovering over my head that all have things in them that I need to do or deal with, but sometimes I just really get locked up trying to decide which one of those eye clouds I should you know, pull down and start swimming in basically to begin my day. I realize that that dilemma might have way more to do with my wiring than having a heavy load, or maybe it's just a little bit of both. I don't know. But what I've found is that none of them feel ideal or feel fun to start swimming in, especially on a Monday morning. I've learned that sometimes I just have to get past the way it doesn't feel. Sometimes it doesn't feel special. It doesn't feel inspiring. Sometimes it doesn't even feel right, but sometimes it starts to feel right when we just get past it not feeling right. I know that a lot of this might be that I'm a romantic at heart. I'm pretty idealistic for the most part. So as you can imagine, this whole glorious meeting me in the mundane thing is an important part of my day and my life and my being. Sometimes, though, it just seems like the ideas and the dreams and even the strategic parts of our day can be hijacked by reality and the riffraff of this busted up little planet that we live on. This can happen in big sweeps and strokes that can sometimes paralyze us from even knowing where to start, or it actually can be as subtle as those snarling little faces that I got when I suggested a cultural night at the local Indian eatery over spring break that I told you about. So much of real life is getting past how we think something's supposed to go or how we think it's supposed to feel and how we thought that new job might go or how we thought marriage would feel after the honeymoon or having a baby or even saying yes to God in a new season or even when we did consecrate that thing and yet here we are, met with disappointment somehow. If you'll remember, though, I shared that once we got into that, cultural Indian night. The kids actually enjoyed connecting over something new, and they ended up actually loving the food, too. Thinking back, I certainly had a choice in the car as I sat there, and they were looking at me with their little, you know, annoyed faces, and I felt like nerdy little homeschool mom, like I told you, but I decided to push through the way it didn't feel. Now, that's like a silly little example, I know, but actually the same thing can play out in the bigger and more important things in our lives. I'll never forget when, and and maybe I've told you this story before, but our home in Georgia, when we went to sell it, we were told by our realtors that it was going to apparently fly off of the market and that we needed to be ready, basically. But it was you know, one of those classic hurry up and wait moments. We ended up with actually no action whatsoever. And yet here we were trying to plan this big, exciting move back to Tennessee This was in late June, and we wanted to, of course, get settled before school started in early August, but that window we were finding was actually getting tighter and tighter as it was late June for our house to sell and for us to find something to live in in Tennessee, and we were, of course, determined not to buy anything in Tennessee until our house sold in Georgia. Well, there were also a lot of factors surrounding that season that Nate and I were in. We were definitely in survival mode, I remember. After spending all that time getting the house ready to sell, and now nothing was happening, we were physically and emotionally just spent, and we were left wondering what in the world was happening and what in the world was going to happen. Well, I had been having this feeling deep in my gut that we needed to just maybe stop everything and just get near to God. But it wasn't something I had really let bubble to the surface enough to really talk to Nathan about it. But one night around dusk, during the heart of that season of waiting and wondering, we came home and we made our way to the door like we always do. And lo and behold, a snake was ever so slowly And vertically slithering up the door of our home. His body, I remember, literally was curling around our doorknob and the keyhole of our home. Now, when you live in the country, you're just used to seeing critters and creatures, but I mean, a snake on your door is definitely like a whole other level of creepy. I, of course, Instagrammed it, and immediately two of my close friends, unbeknownst to the other, texted me and were like, girl, you need to pray over the house. They knew it had been at a standstill on selling it. And they're just two friends that have a special antenna up for the world beyond the natural, which, of course, is more real than we are even aware of day to day. And it made me go back to that gut feeling I'd been having and just hadn't really pushed through the survival mode mentality enough to have that conversation yet with Nathan. So I bring it up with him that night after the snake show on our door. And he said, yeah, actually, I've been feeling that, too, so let's plan on praying tonight. So we get the kids down later that night. This is when they were much younger. And we both gathered in the living room to pray. And we lit candles, and we sang worship songs together. I wish. (laughs) We actually got in a huge fight. There we were, husband and wife, gathering to pray to consecrate this move to God, And we just get way off into the weeds, fighting about something that, of course, I literally cannot even remember. I'm imagining that this sounds a little bit familiar to some of you, and this is my point. We have options when this happens. We can certainly respond like, well, see, we can't even get this right. We can let the tension, and we can let the anger and our pride and even just the awkwardness of that moment cause us to just blow the other person off because there's no way we now feel like pressing into a moment of prayer or intimacy or whatever it is that the enemy is slithering around trying to steal from us. My tendency when we have a fight over the years, and Nathan has called me on this many times, but I just wanna leave the room. Part of that is fear of what I might say that I don't really mean, but most of it's just, I don't wanna deal with this right now. Well, that night, I just wanted to get up and leave the den because it wasn't turning out to be the perfect prayer visual that I wanted it to be, but thankfully, I stayed. And thankfully, in spite of the weirdness and the awkwardness, Nathan pushed through, and not with some kind of preacher prayer voice, but with a very weary and raw and real voice of a man and a husband and a father that was just wanting to do the right thing for his family, he broke through how it didn't feel. And as we sat in that tension for a little bit and just let the words start to roll around in our mouths, we were able to push past how it didn't feel, and we just began to talk to God about it. Our hearts began to follow our words as we spoke them out into our home that night identifying any way, shape, or form that we had given lordship of our lives to anything or anyone else. Even the move, we released that to him. We released how it was all going to turn out. And we even invited him to shut the move down if that's what he wanted to do. And suddenly what started out as kind of a rocky climb, it smoothed into a narrow but straight path that led us both to where we needed to be. And communion with God. Regardless of our circumstances, our achieving the exact results we were looking for, we knew that there on our knees was exactly where we needed to be. It's always the process, isn't it, that affords us so much. It's so interesting to me, thinking back on that night, and it's amazing to me how hindsight is twenty twenty. I will say that a miracle did happen concerning the house, and it happened actually the next day. The next morning, out of nowhere, we had a slew of showings, and we got a cash offer by that afternoon. It was June twenty sixth, 2015, which was seven years to the day, by the way, that we moved into that house. We will always be grateful for that cash offer. It was certainly And A huge blessing, as you can imagine, to us, because we could move forward with the plans that we'd been making. We did, and we still do marvel at God's hand, moving in an incredible way. But what remains the real treasure to me was being entrusted with a moment that didn't feel all that glorious. In fact, it felt quite the opposite. Yet we ended up on our knees there in the den, talking to the God of the universe, Choosing to believe that He cared about every detail of our lives and choosing to pause to just get near Him and get near His heart. To me, this means a lot because it means that we are learning to trust Him and get near Him, and maybe also we're learning to value what He values the most, which is relationship. This has to be what He values, because sometimes our circumstances don't change, even when we draw near. I've told you about my hearing loss. Today, I sit here having symptoms on my right side now that I don't really know how to explain to people or to doctors, and I pray, and I trust, and I've been treated, and I've been healed, I believe. Ultimately, there's been healing on this left side, but there's still this lingering And I know that God could take it away at any moment, but for whatever reason, a reason I don't understand, it lingers. But that lingering continues to point me to push through circumstances and results and turnouts and to focus on the gift of drawing close that can only come through utter dependency. So in a world where we scroll hundreds of times a day through the eye candy of, let's face it, many attempts to push through how a moment didn't really feel, could we just be honest with ourselves that the real life stuff is possibly just beyond the point of realizing something isn't that ideal or all that perfect, but as we just settle into what's in front of us, what we do have, what we can own with humility, what we get to steward today... We start to understand that the process and His presence with us in the process is where the glorious starts to sneak in, even when it doesn't feel glorious. It might happen when we just buckle down and start scrubbing on those pots and pans. When we get up out of our comfy chair to get that baby who's been squealing on the baby monitor, even though we're bummed that nap time was maybe cut short. If you're like me, Maybe even when you have to pause your podcast because you had to just get into it a little ways, only to realize that it's not about checking it off of a list and just getting it done. It's about walking hand in hand with God the whole way through. Well, today I'm excited to get back to our Heart Postures series again. I've shared about these heart postures before over the years, and I do love this posture because I believe it means that something's opened up in us something really beautiful. I've already prefaced that experiencing optimum results in life isn't really a sustainable goal in God's economy. And sometimes living in the more of God is actually living in much less of what the world deems optimum. So these postures, they're not a formula by any means to achieve something. They're actually just a way to walk hand in hand with God, which I've learned, as I've said before, is what He values. Worship is a response to God for who He is and what He's done, and these postures are very much that. They are worship in the mundane. These heart postures are not a way to achieve a life that's without ups and downs. Actually, living life with your heart postured towards God, even intentionally, can still look pretty wild and unexpected which is both thrilling and terrifying all at the same time. Stepping into God's economy is actually kind of like jumping off of a cliff— My brother, Eric, who I've had on this podcast before was teaching a group of worship leaders at a retreat for worship circle that I was a part of. And I love how he illustrated what this is like. He had a little whiteboard and a marker and he drew this little stick figure, which was us. And he showed that little stick figure jumping off the cliff into what feels like nowhere. That was illustrating following God into the mystery. It feels like a free fall. And he let us just feel that for a minute until he drew an inner tube around the stick figure that was tied to a rope that was leading up to the words G-O-D. The point was, he has you in the mystery. And that's exactly where he wants us to be. These postures aren't as much a roadmap as they are a compass, really. Life's going to look different for all of us, and we're all headed in different directions. And let's face it, it's actually not mapped out. So I don't know about you. I'd rather have a compass in my pocket so that I always know where north is. When I get off course or when I'm frustrated, when I feel bitterness sneaking in to snatch up my gratitude, I want to know how to find my true north. I want to know how to backtrack home. I can hear the voice of my friend Tasha now when I posted the last podcast on Instagram about how we can backtrack. She commented, backtrack baby with a little praise hands emoji. So knowing the condition of our hearts, it's that compass that helps us backtrack and find our way home. As we are conversing with God and working out these postures, we are preparing ourselves ultimately to live in this beautiful posture of welcome And speaking of my brother, Eric, I remember when he took me through an intensive process that he offers people that he coaches. It's it's several months, basically, of going back to this ground level of your belief system and reorienting your life really around learning to live from a place of rest, ultimately remembering who God is and who you are, And I remember him saying that the fun part is at the very end of the process where you get to understand your wiring. You get to take this personality test called the Berkman, and then Eric goes through those results with you. And I remember I cried through a lot of it because it was just so affirming to know all those things about how I'm wired. But I had to make it through all the hard stuff before I could get to that rewarding stuff. I had to go to the foundational level of what I was believing about myself and about who God is and how I can respond to Him every day before I could open up fully into understanding more about who God has really made me to be. It's kind of the same with these heart postures. When you're truly living them out, your life opens up into this full bloom of welcome And we hinted at this on the last podcast by talking about the heart of gratitude, how we begin to wear it like the smile of God across our lives. But it only comes as we have just experienced these sort of stage by stage, and our heart has just is gradually opening up into this welcome. I get really turned off by self-help, I will say. I do know that it's very helpful. And it's obviously a very successful industry. So part of sharing these postures makes me squirm a little bit because they can seem really self-focused and (laughs) self-helpy. But the beauty of it is that what it begins to actually form in us, when we really learn to shape our hearts for communion with God, that we begin to have eyes and arms open to the world around us. But before I really started living more fully from my heart, I remember reaching this place where the Lord made me aware of actually just how self consumed I really was. At that time in our lives, Nathan and I had a full time manager, a booking agent, a record label, a road manager, a full time nanny, an accountant, and a housekeeper. That's a lot of people tending to your needs and orbiting around your world, and it can cause this alternate reality within the walls of your home even, that the world around you is revolving around you somehow, and that you're in this little bubble. And I begin to wonder for the first time, what's beyond the bubble? Whose lives am I looking in on Or am I really even truly caring for the people who are in this bubble with me? Am I even looking outside of myself into the bubble? I started realizing that I didn't even really know my neighbors, and I didn't really know my friends from church. I suddenly wanted to know people, to take a meal to a new mom who just had a baby, or to reach out to a woman who maybe has a heart for worship. I started to wonder, where is she getting encouragement from? And I realized this can only be from the Spirit of God. And I'm so grateful that He confronted me with these ponderings because it started to change my life. The timing of all this coincided with Nathan wanting to come off of the road more and produce albums for other artists, and I was actually exhausted from the road. And that's when we started making some really hard decisions about our little bubble. We decided that I would come off the road for a good while We didn't resign our record deal when it was time for that to happen. Our relationship with our manager ended because of our decision to come off the road more and not resign our record label. I've told you that story. We needed nannies less because if I was gonna come home more, we didn't need them to be there as much. And all the while, the Lord was going after my heart in a big way in the secret place, far away from the platform and everything I knew. He started in on me, about what it might look like for me to really live from Philippians 2. Let me read it for us. I love that the chapter is titled, Imitating Christ's Humility. This is Philippians 2, 1-8. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... If you remember with me, the concentric circles I've talked about before, or the bullseye. If you listen to some of those early podcasts, you might remember. But the gist of it is that we begin to live in this constant place of abiding in the Lord, like in a real soul-satisfying kind of way. And as you continue to learn to abide, you begin to ultimately know how to trust Him with the core of everything. And it gives you the capacity to release to loosen your grip on your plans, your dreams, your own gifts, and your own way, basically. And as you live in reliance on God for those things, suddenly you start to bloom. You start to fully extend to this place of seeing others with a heart of compassion and love. And you begin to value others more than you value yourself. So let's stop right there for a minute because I know I can begin to sound contradictory as I just did a whole podcast on knowing how to voice what it is that you desire, and that's still very important. It's actually vital to pinpoint those things. We also talked about the importance of voicing those in the right place to the right person who can actually do something about it. So all the more reason we can actually value others more highly than we do ourselves, and here's why. And hang with me here. This doesn't mean that we don't value ourselves. This means simply that we've placed our value of ourselves in the hands of God. Our gifts, our reputation, our goals and dreams, our longings and wants, they're not kicked to the curb in order to take on someone else's dreams or to value other people. They are placed in the hands of our Creator. How much more safe could they be there? I've shared around Psalm 37 many times with these concentric circles, especially in those early podcasts. But verses 5 and 6, it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. He'll literally make your cause be known as bright as the sun. So who is holding all this up while we're getting to hold others up? The God of the universe. I'm pretty sure we're gonna be okay. (laughs) But how often do we believe that for just a minute and then we're like, just kidding, God. Let me just borrow this back for a second so I can freak out a little bit about how things aren't going my way right now. And actually, I don't think I have time to look into the interests of others because I've gotta hold this thing up for myself. So it's kind of that, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself mentality. And we get our grip back on everything, this false sense of control, and it's easy to do. Maybe a jealous spirit starts rising up in us, or we begin to see others as a threat, and we start looking out for number one rather than being able to receive others with this beautiful posture of welcome. This is big, y'all. I'm telling you, the enemy hates it, and it's why he comes slithering around. He hates it when we abide and we trust and we loosen our grip on everything. He hates it when we open wide our arms and our lives to others like Jesus. I'm telling you, there's something supernatural that happens. When we live in this posture, there's this joy that rises up in us, a delight. Back to Philippians 2 when Paul said, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. That word joy right there in the Greek, it means kara. And the meaning there is to extend favor or lean towards properly. It means the awareness of God's grace and favor. It's ultimately grace recognized. I love that. Joy bubbles up from grace recognized. So the idea here is extending favor and leaning towards others because the gifts and dreams and plans I have, I have recognized as just that. They're gifts. And I'm able by the Spirit's work in me to give them back to God. I place them in His hands to be stewarded by the great steward and creator of all things. And when we do that, turns out we do have capacity then if He's got this, we have capacity to then lean towards others, to extend this grace recognized to the people around us today. You can extend your own joy bubbling up to everyone around you today with a posture of welcome because He's holding everything up for you. You don't have to hold it up. And you can extend that grace and joy to everyone around you today freely and beautifully, because He's got you. I've heard it said that the kingdom of God is not actually about addition, but it's really about multiplication. I don't know fully how it happens. I don't really know how to explain it, but somehow what we leave in the hands of God, what we trust Him with, I believe it gets multiplied. So really this means that we can freely give away our lives. We're free to give our time, our resources, our gifts, our expertise, all the while our lives also multiply. I've said before that staying relevant in our lane isn't about staking our place in the lane and taking up that space. It's about raising people up in our lane, people right next to us in our lane who need us there to help raise them up. I don't know how much more relevant we can get if we've got someone right there next to us who is looking to us to lead, to mentor, to welcome, to embrace them. Relevant means to stay closely connected to what is being done or considered. We have this gift with those around us and particularly those coming up behind us, all the way down to that baby lifted from the crib who for right now in this season of her life is in full reliance on you. And just as Jesus has welcomed you, you get to welcome her. As you take the time to kiss her little face and nurture her and love her, even through your frustration that maybe you haven't bathed in three days (laughs) and that your Bible's collecting dust on the side table by your comfy chair. But I don't know, maybe you can take one verse from your memory today and make it into a song so that you and her can both remember it together. And the supernatural comes, the Spirit of God in the mundane, He comes and He starts planting a field of fruit from your faithfulness to just settle in. I love to think of the posture of welcome like preparing your home for a weary traveler. I'll never forget when Nathan and I owned our first home and we welcomed our first overnight visitor other than family. This was around 2003, and it was a friend of a friend named Tim Hughes, Tim is a worship leader and a songwriter from England. He's actually known for writing a song called Here I Am to Worship, which I'm sure that you have sung many times over the last decade or so. But Tim was coming to the States to work on a record with my husband, Nathan, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now that the record that they worked on when Tim was staying with us is called, When Silence Falls. And I always tell people that it's one of my desert island picks, meaning if I had to be shipped off to a deserted island for whatever reason and I could only take a few records with me, When Silence Falls would be on that short list. I can't really explain why. There's just something really timeless and set apart about it. It's anointed, and I don't throw that word around. I love everything that Nathan has produced over the years, but there are sometimes these ones that just kind of rise up and stick with me forever and... When Silence Falls is definitely one of them. That's a side note. You need to get it. It's amazing. But anyway, when Tim came over to work on that record, we had just decided that he would stay at the house since they'd be kind of working down in the studio in the basement. And I remember thinking through to the very last detail what all I needed to do to make him feel welcomed in our home. Like I really thought through it. I, of course, knew what it felt like to be miles away from home since I travel for a living, and I know what it feels like to not have what you need or not be able to sleep, and nothing seems familiar. So I took extra time to welcome Him into our familiar. I figured if we were at ease with our familiar, then He'd be put at ease in our familiar. This is what a life of welcome looks like you welcome others into your own familiar with the Father. You put people at ease because you are at ease. You're not striving and climbing and clenching. You're trusting and you're opening up your life and what's familiar to you about this God you know and love. And consequently, you open up your arms and your life to others. As I was saying before, I'm big on mentorship and being available to others that are in your lane, including my kids even. I'm so grateful that the Lord caused my eyes to start looking outward when He did, as I learned to start trusting Him with what I had this tendency to grip tight to. And the more I trusted Him with the unfolding of me, when I left that to Him, it truly began to free me to help with the unfolding of others. Trusting what God was speaking over me, I found myself freely speaking words of life over others. Proverbs 15.4 says that a soothing tongue is a tree of life. Our words are powerful over others. We have the power to bless or to curse. A life of welcome is a life that speaks life and has the power and capacity to bless. You've probably seen that little Instagram meme that says, be who you needed when you were younger. Yet many of us don't believe we have the capacity to do that because of expectations that we put on ourselves or on what we think that's supposed to look like. If you can't get time to meet with someone outside your home, invite someone over to your living room for coffee and chat while you're folding laundry or while you're tiling your bathroom for that matter. This is what I do every once in a while when I literally don't have the capacity to drive to and fro. I'll ask them to come to me for a change. I do try to meet up with them when I can, but sometimes it's a nice change of pace for them and from all the usual places that you meet up. Sometimes it just looks different in some seasons, and that's okay. I remember my friend Claire, who is a cellist, when she first had her baby, she really wanted to be a part of music and worship and still get to use her gift. And while she maybe wasn't ready or had the capacity to jump on a bus yet for a tour, Claire did have the capacity to come play for us at the well in Franklin when we were first starting that gathering for women here. And I remember she brought her little baby girl, Indy, who's precious. She brought her to sound check and rehearsal, and Indy was just at that age where she was starting to sit up. So Claire brought this heavy-duty laundry basket, and she sat little Indy down in it, and she had toys down in there, and they were kind of clipped to the sides of the laundry basket. So it basically became this little makeshift playpen that Claire could have right at her feet. And I thought to myself, that's having creativity with capacity in a season where everything looked different, but Claire could still do what she felt called to do, and she could find joy in it I love that. You might not feel like you're able to have a posture of welcome right now, but I'll say this. It's not so much about what you're doing. It's about who you are, and that's what you offer to people. I think this is what Jesus had in His heart all along, that the church, the capital C church, meaning you and me, that we would be His welcome to the world. Romans 15, 5-8 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As Christ welcomed you. It reminds me of when Jesus first began his ministry and he would say to the people, and they didn't understand, of course, but in Matthew 3, he said, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, turn from the old way, basically, because the rule and the authority and the way of God has come extremely close because I'm here. He was saying, watch me, pay close attention. I'm going to show you how To live, I'm going to show you what's important to God. I'm going to show you how to welcome. I'm going to welcome you. Living in one accord just seems rare, unfortunately. (laughs) Living from who we really are as God's beloved and living from his welcome is rare enough, but living in harmony with each other, it almost seems more rare these days. What does it look like to welcome when you aren't being welcomed in return? What does it look like to love and welcome when the relationship is less than ideal when you definitely have to push through how it doesn't feel? What about when Jesus said in Matthew five that we must love our enemies and that we need to be perfect in verse forty eight he says "We need to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect That verse has always taken me a bit by surprise, but I was looking at that word perfect there, and in the Greek it means. Teleos. It basically means, and this is really beautiful in terms of a life of welcome, it means to be full grown or going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal. In this sense, it's a completeness of character. The concordance says that it can actually be illustrated by thinking of a big pirate's telescope unfolding, extending out one stage at a time to function at full strength in terms of capacity. Isn't that beautiful? That's the posture of welcome, it's perfection. Not in the way that we're used to thinking of perfection in the world's terms, but perfect in the sense that through the life of Jesus, we ultimately become fully extended into maturity and into capacity. We become full grown. I think often a life of welcome looks like release when you want to be right. That's definitely a part of growing up, isn't it? I know for me, as I've told you before, it took me about seven years of marriage to even begin to learn that I didn't get to always be right and that I actually wasn't always right. But in some cases, what do we do when we fundamentally just don't agree with someone, or you might even be right? The life of welcome is a life postured in imitating Christ's humility, like we read in Philippians 2, that He came not to be served, but to serve And then he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. I have a feeling that what's ahead for the church is going to stretch us beyond anything we ever imagined. That last notch in the telescope might just be excruciating. What will it look like for us to love and imitate Christ's humility, yet firmly hold the truth all at the same time? We hold fast to the head. Paul warns us in Colossians 2 of those who lose connection with the head. He clearly states earlier in verse 10 that Jesus is the head over every power and authority. And he says that it's the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and grows as God causes it to grow. So to be extended, full out, and welcome, to be fully grown in perfection as God causes us to grow in Christ, we must hold fast to the head. I'll close with this. A few months before my 40th birthday, I was sitting in a restaurant with my kids down the street from our house. And it was this little Irish pub that we loved going to because the atmosphere was Irish, I guess, very warm and welcoming and fun. And they had this collage of images on the wall that I always loved looking at. And one night I was sitting there with the kids. Nathan was actually out of town, so it was just the four of us. And I was struck with an image on the wall that I don't know that I'd ever noticed before. And all I know is that, you know, when you say an image spoke to you, that's what happened to me. The picture just spoke to me right where I was at. I didn't connect it all the way in the moment to really, truly where I was at, like spiritually, but I just knew that there was more to it. So I actually kind of snapped a little picture of it. I was in a season at that time where I was wrestling with a need to be right in a relationship. And it actually had to do with some relationships inside the church. And I was quite honestly distraught over those things because I just didn't fundamentally agree on a heart level. In fact, I had literally taken it on like a gigantic backpack that I wore everywhere I went. When I led worship in that season, you could probably see it on my face. As idealistic as I am and a hopeless romantic, I've been very justice-oriented since I was a child, especially when it comes to the church. Since my dad was a pastor all my life, I grew up watching him navigate the church and all the dynamics that that brought with it. I don't know, maybe somewhere along the way, I developed this need to defend Jesus and the church. The only problem with that was that I had lost my joy. I had lost my welcome. I had turned inward for a season, and my capacity seemed eaten up with feeling this need to protect rather than to open up. So in the pub that night, I snapped the picture on the wall, and my kids were like, Mom, what's with the picture on the wall? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so a few days later, I showed the picture to Nathan on my phone, and I said, look at this image that I snapped from the wall of the pub. And we commented on the beauty of it, and but we were both kind of struck with the story it was telling. And I'm going to have to paint this picture for you because I'm not going to post this image. So paint the picture in your mind as I tell you about it. The image is of a 12th or 13th century couple. The woman is very beautiful with long flowing hair and is dressed in Celtic attire. And she's being embraced by a man, a knight actually, as you can see his armor and his sword at his side. The woman's eyes are closed and her head is buried into his chest so much that she can't see his expression. And that's the part that gets me every time. It's his expression. His posture is what moves me every single time. Being a good head and a half taller than her, the woman can't actually see this gentleness on his face and the fact that his eyes are closed as he's kissing the top Of her head. For a few weeks, I'd go back to that photo on my phone, and finally I just asked the Lord, Okay, what is it? What do you want to show me through this image I am obviously so drawn to? As I studied what I can only describe as pure love on this man's face and his posture towards this woman that he so obviously delights in, the Lord began to speak straight to my heart about the image. Suddenly, I could clearly see that that man represented Jesus. He was the bridegroom, and the woman he was embracing was his radiant bride, the church. Tears began to stream down my face as the Lord began to remind me that he is still engaged in the embrace. He's not elsewhere. He hasn't left her. He's right here with her. He's clued in on the embrace, his eyes are closed, his head bent down to kiss the top of her head. He's locked in. I think I just needed to know that Jesus is still in on the embrace with his bride, that he hasn't forgotten her, that he sees how she's conflicted and how she's struggling, but he's got her. It's clear in the image that he's much stronger than her. He doesn't need defending. Clearly, He's the defender. And suddenly, my heart was aware that she didn't need my defending either. He's clearly got her. And that's when the Holy Spirit moved in really close and whispered right to my heart, She's you. Suddenly, I realized that I had lost my joy in somehow trying so hard to defend her, the church, when what I really needed to do was simply take my place In the embrace again, I needed to go back to His welcome to find my welcome again. This was big for me. In fact, for a while, it was sort of a go-and-tell-no-one type moment between me and the Lord, and I hadn't even told Nathan about what the Lord had spoken to me through that image Well, weeks passed, and it had sort of just become a sweet memory as I had days of living in a posture of welcome and other days where I had maybe put one strap of that big weighted backpack on again before I'd set it down, knowing that it was just too weighty to carry. But the weekend of my 40th birthday came, and Nathan had planned a trip for us to the Highlands, North Carolina to stay at the cottages at Old Edwards Inn. And if you've never been to that area It is a must, it's absolutely heavenly. We got to our cottage and it was early evening and my birthday's in November. So the fire was already lit in our cottage and the lights were turned down low. The hubby had done really, really good. Fabulous actually. And there was a bellman helping us in with our luggage. And as I walked through the door, I went into the bedroom and I was stopped breathless in my tracks. I looked across the room and I couldn't believe my eyes because hanging on the wall framed right in front of me was the image I had seen on the wall at the pub. I looked at Nathan and he looked as shocked as me as we both walked over to it, and I remember squealing out loud because the artist had signed the bottom of it, and I realized that we could Google the artist's name so that we could get a print of it. So I was so excited, and I was squinting in really close to try to make out his name because it was in cursive, and all the while my heart was being flooded, remembering what the Lord had spoken through this image to my heart. And as I was struggling to make out the artist's name, bending down close, Nathan leaned in really close, and he whispered, happy birthday. I looked over at him with my mouth gaping open and tears started running down my face as Nathan begins to explain to me that he had searched the image and he actually found the guy who painted it and found out that there are no prints of it anywhere. But the guy agreed because it was my 40th birthday and because Nathan was an amazing, nice guy to print one for him. And so Nathan gets this print, and the kids go and get it framed with Nathan, and they have it shipped ahead of time to the Old Edwards Inn. And then Old Edwards Inn took the time to take the picture off the wall that was hanging in the bedroom before we got there, and they hung this beautiful image in our bedroom so that when I walked in, I could be completely taken back all over again at the great lengths to which God will go to help us remember that He's always true north. I love that He used my husband, the head of our home, the picture of the bridegroom to me on this earth. And I even love that Nathan didn't even know fully yet what God had spoken to me through that image. He just knew that it meant a great deal to me. And I love that through my husband's attentiveness, through his embrace, I was taken back to the attentiveness of both Jesus to His bride and His attentiveness to me. I can only pray that the Holy Spirit is flooding your heart with remembrance even now, that to imitate Christ's welcome, you simply get to get back in on the embrace today. Hold fast to the head. I pray that his embrace would teach us to embrace. That his humble servant heart would teach our hearts to say, not what I want, but what you want today, God. That his confidence in the Father would teach our hearts to place our confidence along with all those dreams and plans, our longings in his hands. And as we trust him with the big, we become faithful in the small as we trust Him to unfold our lives how He sees fit, we can be about the business of helping others unfold. I pray that His welcome, what He already has shown us and done for us would simply extend out of us today as we represent Him in full bloom with lives of welcome. I'll talk to you soon.